0: So I walked into a wall of what I can only describe as just aerosolized chili peppers uh, that had apparently (laughs) roasted on the stove. And our apartment was, I don't know, a war crime, like a (laughs) a biohazard zone. What do you call it? Like not fit for living. Geneva Conventions, man. (laughs) (coughs) Fuck, there we go. Welcome to episode 419 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Uh, should we get into the show? Yeah, let's do it. A huge shout out to our supporters this week. Thank you to Plume. Plume is empowering a billion smart devices at home and small businesses with a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental control tools. Look, Plume is hiring product designers. They want you to come help them build the future of smart home services. They're looking for people with two to five years of experience. And You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash plume. By the way, they just raised $300 million. So wow, uh good time. Good time. Thank you, Plume. Thanks, Plume. Big thank you to Simply Simply Builds modern design handoff and design version control tools for you and your team. And now... All of that tooling can be hosted in your own secure environment. They have a new feature that lets you upgrade all of your workflows into a self-hosted option for all of your design and development handoff needs. Visit simply.io to learn more. That's S-Y-M-P-L-I dot I-O. Link in the show notes. Thank you, Simply. Thanks, Simply. And last but not least, our good pals over at Play building the first native iOS design tool specifically for teams creating mobile products. You can design, prototype, and collaborate directly on your phone. It's buck wild. We're living in the future. You can experience Play by signing up on their website at createwithplay.com, or we're going to have a link in the show notes with an invite link. So you can get the app in the App Store, use our link, you'll be able to get in and start playing around. Uh, thank you, Play. Once again, that's createwithplay.com. Thanks, Play. We also have some new vips, very important pixels. Mm? I think I'm going to do okay this week, just okay. giving this this list a quick skimmeroo. Uh-huh. Uh So huge shout-outs to new very important pixels. Welcome to the fam. Adir, S.L., Matt, Tory Cook, and last but not least, just the letter T. Do you think that's a Mr. or maybe a Ms. T? Um, i know what you're going for but i I dropped the ball (laughs) i pity the fool who drops the ball (laughs) there you go uh thank you t and thank you everyone else welcome to the fam welcome if you didn't know we're a listener supported podcast which means that every week uh we're actually creating two episodes i don't know if you knew this if you're listening to this right now you're getting one episode of design details every week But if you go to patreon.com slash design details and support us for just a dollar a month, just a buck a month, just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you get access to double apps every week. Supporters get access to a bonus segment called the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is an extra listener question, an extra deep dive, an extra conversation all about design. Today, we're talking about the shape of software. And uh, how we keep our stuff clean, how we keep our stuff organized, how we decide to prioritize what we're going to fix next. If you want to hear us talk about the shape of software, that's at patreon.com slash design details. You'll get access to our whole backlog of sidebars as well as double apps going forward every single week. So thank you everyone who's supporting the show already. And uh, if you're not, head to patreon.com slash design details.
1: It's just book a month.
0: Okay, we got a, some good follow-up from last week's main topic. We talked about futuristic user interfaces, fictional user interfaces. Ben Pickering responded on Twitter and asked for aware of SciFiInterfaces.com. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, com analyzes the computer interfaces from sci-fi movies and television for fun and HCI erudition. What does that mean, erudition? Yeah. Um. I anyway. know Erudition, deep, extensive learning. There you go.
1: Yeah, I was going to say erudite is like well-learned or
0: knowledgeable. Yeah. Well, we got a Twitter PFP of the Iron Man heads-up display, so that should give you a flavor. We also heard from Stefan Kotchi, who tweeted at us, I have a super interesting reading recommendation on the topic of episode 418. I feel like it made me appreciate the often crazy UI in film so much more. And we have a link to a book called Make It So... Interaction Design Lessons from Science Fiction by Nathan Shedroff and Christopher Nosel. Uh, I think somebody else
1: recommended this book as well. But, I think I saw uh, two
0: tweets with this, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, I'll have you know that I have purchased it on my Kindle, well, oh. well from Kindle on my iPad,
0: but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I plan to read it soon. Cool, yeah, follow-up pup in a week or two. All right, thanks for the the link. And lastly, we heard from Connolly Rader, who tweeted a... Uh, one of my favorite real UIs that looks like an FUI, and it is a screenshot of boy oh boy, none other than the Xbox user interface, the original, <laughs> right? This is yeah, X, not even Xbox One, like Xbox, Xbox Zero, yeah, V Zero, and I remember this. I never, I didn't own this Xbox, but I remember when my my next door neighbor got it, and I thought it was the coolest damn thing in the world. And it must have been partially because of this interface. I mean, it's crazy. This is some Winamp skin level like <laughs> right like yeah, everything <laughs> was circular and bubbly and glowing yeah then. transparent
1: green yeah that's how oh. i know it's cool it's like everything's all green and see-through
0: yeah it's pretty cool Anyways, yeah. thanks for the the screenshot Connolly. agree
1: nice little nostalgia trip thanks
0: okay main topic time marshall so you're teaching a course this week and i thought we could talk a little bit about that i think it's interesting to teach things at work whether it's Formally, like what you're about to do, where it's sort of a course or presentation, there's signups and people who are in attendance versus, uh, you know, there's like more informal and and passive ways to teach things at work. But in any case, it's teaching at work and not teaching publicly or or writing blog posts or doing anything like that. So maybe where we could start is, what are you teaching this week?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm teaching... The name of the course is Advanced Figma Tips and Tricks. So, uh-huh. a lot of the stuff I've been
0: talking about lately. Okay, so you're going to be teaching what we've already talked about is your side project, Figbits. What's the relationship between the sets of content there? Like, is teaching this course a dry run for the Figbits product that you want to end up shipping publicly? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah,
1: it's a subset for sure. And because I've framed it as advanced tips and tricks, some of the harder stuff, like how to lay out variants and some more complicated keyboard shortcut gestures and stuff like that. But um, yeah, this is a little bit of a dry run live version of some of the stuff I plan on putting in FigBits, see if it's even useful, if I'm teaching it in the right way, you know, if I'm walking through it in a way that makes sense to people and they they all follow along.
0: I love that. It de-risks the thing that you want to do publicly with people who you won't know and won't be able to message after the fact on whatever your internal communication app is and like clarify things, right? Presumably the course you will teach at work is with people who we'll have some sort of baseline set of overlapping interests and context and and the ability to communicate with a little more nuance since you are co-workers, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll be able to hit me up
1: afterwards if they want to, if I do especially yeah. good or
0: poorly. Was that the main reason you decided to teach something, or were there other reasons?
1: Um, it was a little bit of a... It was kind of convenient, because I was like, well, I already have all this information I've put together, and I really want to teach people about this stuff because it would make their lives easier. I know how much it's made a difference in my workflow and efficiency and all that stuff. If other people have this stuff in their brain and they work this way, we could do a lot of things a lot faster. So I'm, I'm very nervous, though. Yeah, what are you nervous about? I mean, the same stuff... Anybody gets nervous about right? Like, there's a bunch of people signed up for it. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's going to be useful to them. Am I going to look like an idiot in front of all these people? Like, uh-huh. do they know way more than I do? And I'm framing it uh-huh. as like, hey, I know what I'm talking about. And then I get in front of them and prove that I don't.
0: Yeah. You're like, advanced tips and tricks. And everybody's uh-huh. like, this is basic beginner Baby shit. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yep Uh uh-huh there's some fear there okay well okay how are you preparing then
1: well i always start with lists when i need to organize my thoughts the first thing i do is like just kind of get it all out there and the nice thing about figma is there's auto layout so i can just create a text field (laughs) type some stuff dupe Uh it down shift a right and then just keep duping that thing and, and typing over and lay everything out really nicely and clearly so I can categorize things. So that's kind of what I did here is I just listed out all the things that I thought might be useful and then I started breaking those up into categories and then I started pulling all, all those things out into separate pages and organizing from the ground up just a list of stuff because that's the most malleable form. If I want to move things around, I haven't built a whole infrastructure that I need to like move around with it. It's just like uh, this one Piece of text represents an entire idea. And once I get everything feeling good at that wireframe sketch level, rough groupings, then I can start to fill each thing out
0: more. It reminds me a lot of my own writing process. Maybe this is everybody's. I don't know. But but Uh, yeah, it can't be unique to me. Yeah. But I also do that where start chunky. Like I always go outline first, right? You could almost even start with the title, but go with an outline and The thing that I try and do when I'm writing is I just ask myself over and over and over again, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? What's my point? Why should anyone give a shit? And I ask myself that a million times. And eventually I arrive at like, okay, this is what I'm trying to say. In order to say what I'm trying to say, these three things must be communicated. And that ends up becoming that line, right? And then you have three bullet points. Okay, well, these are the three things that I need to communicate. What's the best way For those things to flow. Should it be in this order? What's the right can they link together? Do they build on top of each other? Are they disparate ideas that need a segue? Like all this kind of stuff. Then you just fill out the sentences and then I don't know. I feel like that process is fast. And then the slow, hard, tedious process is the editing process. You've got the outline and like the the sentences in place. Now it's just gotta be good (laughs) and like read linearly and, and tell a clear story and have good grammar and punctuation and all that
1: kind of stuff. Yeah. They say when you're writing a movie or when you're writing anything, write the bad version first just to get it out, like intentionally, like yeah. write terrible dialogue, really bad direction, all this stuff, like just but get it down there. So then you have something to edit. You have something, so you have clay on the table to mold, right? This is what I always talk about. It's hard to get clay on the table, but once you have clay on the table, it's easy to push it around and move it around, take some away, put some back in. That original clay, you just got to power through and get it on the
0: table. This is, well, okay, here. Maybe we can morph this conversation into design process. Because this is kind of the spirit of wireframing. Although I find that it's not what ends up happening with wireframing in practice. Which is, you want to have something that you can add to and remove stuff from as quickly as you can think it. Or reorder things as quickly as you can think about the correct order. And this is the danger of, in my opinion, designing in code or using like website builders where you have to like actually be really careful about how you reorder things like, oh, if I reorder this here, it has all these consequences and you can't you're forcing yourself to make a bunch of trade-offs while you're trying to just explore the outline of a thing, which is why figma and fig Jam, all these things are super popular, right? like Let's just get all the shit on the table and just have it as sticky notes and reorder it. And this reminds me, last night we watched uh, a bunch of behind-the-scenes film clips from a movie. And they were showing their storyboarding process. And part of their storyboarding process was they went and actually filmed themselves doing the scenes like on their phones. And then they just took screenshots of their phone film. And then use that as the storyboard to then follow up and create the real film. Oh, even better uh, than
1: that though, it was it was the storyboard. They did the original like drawings of the storyboard. And then they, the stunt people did their version of it. They filmed a, a stunt version of it. And then they did like a poor man's version of it on uh-huh. uh, on location with their phones and stuff. And they cut between all three of those different versions, all three iterations to create the final iteration. That included all of them they're the best yeah. points of all of them, which' is really cool because yeah. it doesn't matter what form that sketch comes out is like it, as long as the final product looks polished it doesn't matter if it came from a cobbled
0: together bunch of uh-huh. nonsense yeah and so how is this all manifesting in some ways you're preparing your talk do you have the the messy file with all the prep work and, and the wireframes or I don't know I can kind of picture you making it pixel perfect as you go. Yeah, it's pixel perfect as I go. I, I chose mm-hmm. some like... <laughs> You're doing the thing that we have talked about not doing. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Well, no, I, I made some decisions early on of like, how far do I want to space stuff apart? But I started with a single page. I was like, okay, this tip that I want to share has a keyboard shortcut. So I know I have to include that element. It has a title and a description. It's going to have to have some sort of representation that I can manipulate to show off that keyboard shortcut or that that tip. So it kind of had all the pieces that I knew it was the it was the macro version of what could possibly be there any other version would be that or less. So I started with that one and started moving stuff around. So I put all that all the pieces on the board and I started shuffling things around and came up with a decent layout that I thought would work well. And then I expanded that to a couple other pages and like okay, let's see how this works with these other things and came to a realization like actually this is not going to work but i hadn't gone that far so it was easy to go back and change the other couple pages to update them to the new version that i had done on the third page Does this makes sense like it's kind of like slowly iterating yeah, but yeah. not going so far that if i ever change it that i have to go back and change
0: all of the things this is the tension for me which is when do you componentize? Because if you componentize too early, you lock yourself into a lot of decisions that, yeah, great, you have the ability to change that one component and all of those changes will cascade down to the instances of that component. But if the, the component itself is wrong, then you're cascading a bunch of shit. But if you wait a little bit longer and refine the thing to what it should be, then you can componentize later, but you've, you now have to go back and fix all of your other stuff in, in the past. So the way I've done this in the past is like I basically treat an entire flow. I'll do like the entire flow end to end with a set of components. And then I will duplicate that whole page, detach all of the components and sort of redesign everything from scratch. Like, OK, well, that was the first pass. Here's the second pass. And I'll recreate all the components learning from, you know, the first pass of the flow. Oh, actually, it's going to be a lot better if I structure and create the hierarchy like this instead. So, my second pass end up with maybe fewer components or more correct components, and then just duplicate the whole page again, detach everything, start over. Usually, by that point, like you've got the the right primitives in mind. So, it sounds like something similar for you, if I understood what you were describing. Yeah, I mean, for this particular
1: thing, I haven't done a whole lot of components. The only things I've componentized are like the keys for mm-hmm. showing the keyboard shortcuts like i have a command key and option all that stuff but outside of that it's mostly i'm using styles so you know i can i can fall back on that and i'm using auto layout so i'm copying over frames that maintain all the padding and all that stuff so i don't really have to worry about things being spaced incorrectly uh-huh. but i'm not componentizing too much because really i want people to get into these files, I'll make it available to everybody in the course so that they can get in and see how I built the file for the course. It's kind of part of the thing. Is like, if anybody goes through here, all my layers are named, everything is set up the way that I would actually want to do it, <laughs> the way that I would want people to see it if I knew they were looking at it. So, so I'm trying to keep it pretty open and easily manipulable by anybody looking at it. But typically, yes, if I start doing stuff a couple times, it's like, all right, this should probably
0: be a component. Okay, let me bring this back home a little bit because I think it's really cool that, that you're teaching this stuff. I, I feel like it's such a huge time investment and there's gotta be a, a trade-off calculus you've made about is this worth my time? Right. Like you could be doing any other things, you could be doing your your core day job responsibilities, you could be working on side projects, spending this time with your partner and watching shows, like but ultimately, signed up to to teach this course, and it's going to take a lot of your time outside of work. What? Why? What's in it for you? Like, is this something you recommend other people do? Like, how should other people think about this process of kind of going outside of the scope of your day job to teach internally at your own company?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, good question. I mean, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, of like. I feel like this has made my life easier. So if I can share this stuff and make other people's lives easier, it's kind of cool. It's a little bit of an evangelism type of thing, I guess in that Mm. way.
0: So Um, selfless.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like have you heard about Jesus, Brian? (laughs) Uh Uh, So that's kind of part of it is like, I want other people to not pull their hair out in frustration it's also kind of nice to, uh, because I plan on on performing this function outside of just this single course, it's kind of nice to put myself out there as a point of contact for anybody who has these types of questions after the class is over. Like, hey, you, you can you can hit me up and ask me a question or you, know, you have somebody that you can go to. It's like a, I'm covering a lot of bases here
0: here. OK, I want to add one more spin to that then. And I'll I'll just go ahead and give the selfish spin. OK, I'll give the spin that maybe sounds bad, but is, I think, pretty practical and reasonable and a reason that I think more people should try to teach stuff at work, which is, this sounds so obvious when I say it. In your job, you have a reputation, but that reputation is mostly known among the people you work most closely with. But what I've found, and I've never taught a design class like this, but I've, I've put out random Loom tutorials and stuff for just random shit in the last few years at GitHub, like one of the videos I made was how to create better keynote presentations. Uh, So you have your reputation among the people you work closest with, your, your design group, your engineering group, maybe a few PMs you work with. But there's something really, really cool that happens when you create this kind of content that can exist outside of your immediate bubble. It can be shared further than the people you have time to have meetings with every day. And what I found was that some of these Loom videos They ended up just getting shared with the most random people who I would have never, ever met in my time at GitHub. Partially a symptom of being a big company, but partially just a symptom of you never know where this stuff's going to go and who's going to find it interesting. So for example, I recorded this video about keynote tips and tricks, and it ended up in the recruiting department. And I got on a call with some of the people on our recruiting team who are hiring designers or like recruiting designers, and they wanted me to look over one of the decks that they were using as part of the recruiting process. And it was such a wonderful connection that would have never happened otherwise. And so, anyways, to bring it all back to the reputation, it's so nice to have this like warm intro to people at your company who've never met, who have no reason necessarily to work with on a day to day basis, but they've seen this artifact that you've made. They feel like they know you a little bit, they feel like they can trust you, they kind of come in with with an ask or or something that they're hoping to achieve. And it sort of smooths that whole process of meeting strangers that are also coworkers. And I found it really rewarding. So I, I recommend I, I certainly haven't done it, it sounds like as much as you, but does that vibe with with your experience as well?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, one of the things that we always talk about when we talk about like growing your career and and how to step up at work is to be known as the person for something. And this is one of the things that I've I've chosen as like I want to be known as the Figma guy, right? And I kind of am known as the Figma guy within my neck of the woods, but not mm-hmm. in the wider uh, range of Google and. What's interesting is, I've looked at my sign up list. There's like over 100 people, which it makes me nervous. But uh, I didn't yeah. recognize hardly any of those names, which is really cool. It's like, oh, I don't know any of these people, I haven't worked with it. It's not just a bunch of my friends showing up to make me feel good, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, uh, I hate to tell you this though, Marshall, but more than 100 people listen to this podcast. So, uh, well, that's like
1: you know, theoretical. <laughs>
0: Sure, fair enough.
1: But I'm excited. And if you're listening to this and you happen to work at Google and uh, you haven't signed up for my class, if you're hearing this in the morning of Wednesday the 10th, uh, sign up for my course. Love to see you there.
0: Let's try and remember to do a, a follow-up pup next week. And we'll see if you have any things you learned, things you would have done differently, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, Okay. <laughs> what i tend to is i tend to black out when i do these types of things and then Uh i I uh get off stage or i I get done with the thing i'm like okay no one's laughing at me so i think i didn't do anything too embarrassing but
0: oh that's because they're tweeting about you marshall
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm just not sure how much there will be to analyze or how much i will have remembered for us to follow up on but i'll I'll do my best
0: okay all right well should we uh cool things and skedaddle over to the sidebar that's cool things Uh, okay i have two things but i gotta pick one and i'll do the other one next week how about i start with i'll start with what i'm most excited about right now and i don't think i've ever done anything like this on the podcast uh my cool thing this week is a piece of clothing Ooh, Hmm. marshall have you heard of this little company called lululemon Uh, yeah it rings a bell Uh i feel like i've heard of it all right so my impression of lululemon and maybe this is still kind of correct, and they're trying to change it, but my impression is that is the the yoga clothing company for women, right? Yeah, it's Lady Yoga Pants, yeah. Yep, and it's what I always thought it was, didn't know they made other stuff, and then I guess slowly over the last year have been introduced to there's Lululemon for men, and they actually make sort of workout apparel and, and lifestyle apparel for men and women, But I always had this kind of hang-up. I was like, ah, but it's yoga. It's a company that makes yoga stuff for women. Anyways, whatever. Toxic masculinity hang-ups. And I just never pictured myself buying Lululemon stuff. Anyways, went to a Lululemon store yesterday. And I am now the proud owner of the Lululemon At Ease hoodie. And God bless it, Marshall. This is the most comfortable little sweatshirt I've ever put on my supple frame. (laughs) What can I say? Lululemon is really expensive, but boy, oh boy, is it nice. So I got the Heathered Melody light gray at ease hoodie for anyone who wants to click and see what it looks like. It looks kind of, it looks very plain, very simple, kind of bland, but it's, it's lightweight enough that I can work out in it, but it's also kind of the perfect weight for San Francisco where it's always just a little bit chilly and I wore it all day today and it was wonderful so currently my favorite article of clothing i kind of want to just buy more but in time in time i can vouch for the lululemon for men i have a pair
1: of pants and brian Mm -hmm. i gotta say my ass looks fantastic in them
0: (laughs) they really got the curves down (laughs) yeah no it's
1: they're like a pair of jogger pants they're loose but
0: great pockets like great pockets inside of pockets Yes, yes smart construction this one has pockets inside the pockets and it's so nice love it love it all right well if, if anyone else is out there and hasn't gotten aboard the lulu train we'll have a link in the show notes but i i recommend it especially if you've been hesitant like me for for all the wrong reasons but uh i'm, I'm happy i've i've jumped in and now i've got the bug i'm ready to spend some money end the stigma uh-huh
1: there you go cool thing brian my cool thing this week is also kind of expensive, okay. but I figured I'd share it anyways because <laughs> it's it's been an interesting thing. So I, one of my cool things in the past was called Dream Screen. I believe I did this in the past, right, Brian? It sounds very, yes, it must have been. Dream Screen was a Kickstarter, I think, of like a very small, like one guy was running the whole thing. But basically it's a, a strip of individually addressable LED lights that go on the back of your TV and you plug... Uh, HDMI into a little box and the box goes out to your TV and it interprets the signal coming from whatever set-top box you're using, Apple TV, whatever, and picks colors, an average color, from around the edge of the screen and uses the LED to cast that light on the wall behind your TV, creating an extension of the screen onto the wall. It's a really cool experience. It also is really good for your eyes because like it's, it's not just a, a rectangle of very bright light in a dark room when you're watching TV at night. Yeah, it softens the edges, yeah. Softens the edges, like makes the screen big. I don't know, it's, it's, it's a nice thing. And it, I used it for a long time, but I don't think it's supported anymore. You can't buy new stuff anymore. And it's like, okay, this fell off. It was a great idea, I really loved it, but I ended up removing it from the back of my TV when I up- upgraded my TV last. But now, Hue... Made by Philips, a reputable company that Uh updates their software periodically. I have several Hue lights throughout the house and and a Hue hub. So they have exactly the same thing, basically. And it's very expensive. So I think it's like it takes two things. It takes a sink box and and you have to buy the light strip to go behind the TV. Those are two separate things and each one is like $250. So it's stupid expensive but their actual retail price now for the longest time they were hard to get a hold of and the only way you could buy them was through a scalper and pay like $500 for the, for oh, the box yeah. stupid stupid but now they're obtainable so if you want to pick one up you can the only thing i would say is unlike the dream screen which it was millisecond accurate to the color of what was on the screen this doesn't plug directly in yeah,
0: they sync the to network your hub
1: yeah so there's yeah. a slight delay the nice thing about the hue lights though is they have different levels of frequency that they're pulling the screen image, uh, and it will smoothly transition from one state to the next rather than like popping. So if you have a screen flash, if there's like epilepsy warning type, <laughs> type stuff happening on screen, then uh, it will be a, a smoother transition on those lights on the outside, so you're not getting strobed in the face mm-hmm. but anyways yeah it's called a hue sync box and hue play light strip i believe there's a few different sizes depending on your tv size check it out it's it's improved my movie watching experience brian i don't know if you can attest
0: yeah yeah can confirm we watched a movie last night and it's funny it, it is the effect is such that if you you're not looking for it you could almost forget that it exists it almost feels like the way watching a tv should feel but then you notice it and you're like, wait, what the fuck? There's a light behind the TV? And so if it's not there now, the TV feels sort of dead. It feels a little bit mechanical. It almost feels like like an iPhone where you can't touch the screen to wake it up. It just feels like a piece of glass. But when it has this backlight glowing that's responding to what's being displayed on the television, uh, it adds a life for lack of a better term. anyways, yeah, it's, it's a cool effect. I mean, if you're looking to max out your your home theater or just just yeah, make your TV watching experience incrementally better, this this is definitely cool.
1: <laughs> you make it sound like i spent a bunch of money on something that doesn't matter, Brian.
0: So yeah, I mean, if you're looking for that 1% improvement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I'd, I'd give it a 20%, maybe 15% better movie watching experience. Yeah.
1: Anyways, that's
0: my cool thing. Cool thing. Links in the show notes. Well, this has been episode 419 of the Design Details podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. As always, we're on Twitter at DesignDetailsFM. If you want to catch the sidebar this week, we're over on Patreon.com slash DesignDetails. We're going to be talking all about the shape of software. If you want to hear about that, and get access to our backlog of sidebars and double episodes going forward every single week. That's at Patreon.com slash DesignDetails. You can sign up for just a buck a month.
1: Just a buck a month.
0: Thank you everyone who joined the fam, the VIP crew this week. Uh, That's it. We'll see you next week. Bye. It's slowly seeping in under the door, so we'll have to record this before I die. (laughs) Wish me luck. All right. I'm not even faking it.